This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. In today's episode, I got a cool subject that I've discussed many times in the past, but never here on the Trading Coach Podcast. It's about backtesting, not how to do it or if it's important, but when do you know when it's time to stop? Ooh. By the way, if you haven't done so already, make sure you subscribe to my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Akil Stokes, videos six days a week. Hey gang, welcome back to the Trading Coach Podcast. Today, I'm going to answer a uh, a pretty common question that I don't think I've ever discussed on this podcast, and it has to do with when should I stop backtesting? Now, we, we've talked a lot about when should I stop trading if you get into an emotional rut, if you hit your maximum allowable drawdown, which is basically kind of like your safety net, your your warning signal on, on when you've lost so much that you need to reevaluate your situation and, and, and stop trading until you've done so. But the question of when should I stop backtesting is new to the podcast. And I think it's a very interesting one because it is something that you're probably going to have to face at some point in your trading career, right? Now, a lot of people don't like backtesting. Um, a lot of people don't, let's, let's put it this way. A lot of people don't like backtesting because it involves work. A lot of people in general don't like the fact that you have to put work into something in order to be good at it. And that's why so many people fail at so many things in life, right? I'm a believer in that unless we're dealing with something that is like genetic. So like I was a an athlete, right? You have to hit the genetic lottery if you want to go to the NFL, if you want to be in the NBA, if you want to be in a, a top flight uh, soccer football league, right? You have to be working with a, a certain skill set and a, a certain skill set that you are born with. And then you have to obviously maximize it, right? There are already extreme cases of, of people who don't have uh you know, the best physical skill set in the world, they're too slow, they're, you know, too weak, they're too short, something like that. And they just work their behind off and make it. Um, hats off to them. But typically, the elite of the elite players, like your LeBron Jameses, for example, are these freaks of nature that are 6'8", 250 pounds that are as fast as a little guy and also have the ability to do basically anything on the court, right? People like that. And then they also work super, super hard to maximize their ability. Trading is the same way. We've talked about Mark Douglas's kind of hierarchy of traders, right? The three uh, tiers of the pyramid where at the bottom you have the, the failing traders, which is about 50%. In the middle, you have the boomer busters. Those are about another 40%. And at the top, you have the 10% of successful traders. If you were to kind of divide that top up, I'd even split it to like maybe a 3% and a 7% where your 7% are traders that do well, right? I would put myself in that category. I've done well for many, 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 many years, but do I consider myself one of the best traders of all time? Do I consider myself a super trader? No, I'm just a dude that can... <laughs> that can uh, that, that, that can make a consistent profit in the market. And, and over time, that compounds into something that is really cool. But I'm not out here, you know, making a million percent a year or anything like that. That's the elite of the elite. And 
it takes a lot of work to get there. And one of the reasons so many traders are at the bottom 40% is because they don't want to put in the work. So that's one of the first reasons that people don't even do backtesting. Um, the next thing is that people don't understand what backtesting really is, right? And we're talking about manual backtesting. So we're not talking about automated backtesting where you're plugging numbers into a computer and it's shooting out stats for you. Um, that has value, yes. Does it have as much value as manual backtesting? No, for many different reasons. Um, but and those reasons, the main ones would be psychology. The main reason would be the, uh, building your reticular activating system. So your skill set, your ability to actually see the market, right? This is where you practice. And automated backtesting doesn't allow you to have practice. It doesn't allow you to work on your skill. It just gives you the answer. It doesn't really tell you how to solve the questions. Manual backtesting could be a pain in the you-know-what, but it teaches you how to solve those questions. It gives you reps in the market. But... When we talk about backtesting with many of our traders, I think they assume that it's it's simple, right? You know, you you learn how to trade, you strategy develop, or you take a strategy and tweak it, then you backtest it, and you go from backtesting to demo trading, demo trading to live trading, live trading to millions and millions of dollars, right? But the truth is that backtesting is a grueling process. Not only is it a lot of data collection, but you don't always get the answers you want, right? You're gonna back test a lot of pairs and we always talk about portfolioization where you're developing your, your ideal portfolio of pairs or stocks or indices, whatever it may be, the ones that are best suited towards your lifestyle and best suited towards your system, right? And a trader may end up with a portfolio of like, you know, maybe six pairs, right? I personally have a portfolio of nine pairs out of in the currency market to what, the 28. So you think about that for a second, right? almost a third of the pairs that are available either you know either I cut them out for reasons such as spread or just I'm not a fan of the, the particular currency like the the Swiss pairs for example um, I could have cut them out because of like correlation issues where I only want to have exposure to a certain amount of yen crosses but many of them also just don't work with my strategies and that's knowing the personalities of your pair so there are going to be times when you back test and something doesn't work. And the question is this, and this is what the, the trader asked me, right? It's the, the long way of getting to it is how do you know when to stop and when to keep pursuing? And he said, Akil, I hope that you're well. Can you provide any insight into when it may be prudent to stop back testing a particular strategy? I am currently backtesting a trend continuation strategy. I have logged 38 trades so far. My testing began with data from the summer of 2021, and the system has produced only three winners of the 38 trades. I'm trying to determine if it's worth my time to continue testing the strategy. Any insight you can provide would be awesome. And first and foremost, uh, for you guys that are new to backtesting, um, 38 isn't a big enough sample size to make any type of conclusion off of um, in most cases. I'll tell you why it is in this case, but in most cases, right? Typically in backtesting, you know, depending on your time frame, um, we're going to tell you one of two things, right? We're, gonna, we're either going to tell you you want to collect about 100 trades per pair per time frame um, per strategy, obviously, um, or about five to 10 years of data, right? So if you're someone that's trading on like a daily chart, it's gonna be very, very hard for you to get 100 trades, but if you can get like 10 years of, of data, um, that's gonna be good as well. Because what you wanna see is you wanna see how your strategy, um, what your strategy produces, how it operates 
under different market conditions, under highly volatile conditions, over, you know, conditions of low volatility, the the Trump era where it's, you know, different news events or, or, or Trump tweets are, are sparking the market during directional periods, during consolidative periods. Ideally, you want a strategy that can, you know, it'll probably perform better during one of those periods, but it, it doesn't kill you during the others. And many times what happens when traders don't back test enough, um, they kind of curve fit purposely or, un, or not by, or not unpurposely, right? They curve fit and they, they happen to select a period of time that their strategy did excellent, maybe during a directional type of market and it, it shows this massive return, but they never actually tested the other type of periods where it's consolidative and it gets blown to bits and then they go on to live trade and it happens to be a consolidative market, they get blown to bits and then they're, they're wondering what the heck happened. Um, so you got to do it over different time periods like that. So normally I would say 38 trades, you know, starting in 2001. It's only 2002, right? That's a, it's only a year. Um, not nearly enough data. But there's something else that we want to take into account as well, right? So when we backtest, we want to backtest our strategy the same way we would trade it in real life. So we want to go through the same process, follow the same rules, all that fun stuff. And... We also want to be realistic because, you know, you're going to have all this data in your back testing. And typically the data that is most important are the final figures. So after your 100 trades, what was the P&L, right? Were you in the green? Were you in the red? Um, what's your win percentage? All of that fun stuff. But why I love looking at equity curve and, and curves and, and why I love the, you know, actually going through the backtesting process manually is because, yes, those final figures are important, but what's more important is the journey, right? What did it take to get to those final figures? And let's look at this trader's example right here, right? He's got three wins out of 38 trades, right? Let's call it 37 trades. We make it an even 40. Let's say he wins the next 60 trades. Every single trade after that, he wins, right? Um, obviously, this is an extreme example, but let's say he wins the next, or let, let's say he wins the next, um, let's call it 52 trades, right? So he ends up out of 100 trades, he's got 55 wins and he's got 45 losses. So 55% win percentage, um, probably I would assume, I don't, I don't know the trader's rules, but I would assume that would put him in the black or in the green as far as his profit goes, right? So yeah, pretty good system, right? I'm a 55% trader myself, so I, you know, I, I'm happy with that. But if we just look at that number, we're happy, but if we look at the path to get there, we have to ask ourselves a question. Okay, so in real life, right, and we are having this discussion today, I'll probably put this podcast out after it, but we, we talked about the difference between um, target taking and win percentage and, and the most profitable way isn't always the best way, especially if you can't mentally handle kind of the the downside of the most profitable way. So keep, keep an eye out for that podcast. Uh, maybe I'll make it the next one right after this one is released. Who knows? Uh, maybe I'll do that if I get smart with scheduling. Um, but we ended up with a 55% win percentage, which is great. But at some point in time, again, we had lost, right, 34 out of the 37 trades we looked at. Let me just do some quick math real quick. Three divided by 37, right? That is a, an 8% win percentage, right? 
Now ask yourself a question. If you were trading this in real life with real emotions and real money, would you be able to make it through that period to the golden period of whatever I said, 52 wins out of 50 whatever trades? Now, some of you were built different and some of you were saying, oh, yeah, Keel, you know, I'm, I'm full of confidence. I, you know, I got the heart of stone. I would have I would have done it. Right. And we, we tend to see that in our back testing because we know the results. Right. In the back testing, we look at our results and we know that the next 52 trades were heaters. Right. So it's like, oh, yeah, of course I could have done that. But if you're testing it manually and you're actually going through it or if you're trading it in real life and you're actually going through this drawdown, seriously, are you telling me you're going to you're you're going to have 35 losers out of your 38 trades and you're still going to be super Mr. or Mrs. confident? Probably not. I can tell you right now that one, if you haven't shut down your trading because if you've hit your maximum allowable drawdown, right? You're going to suffer some type of psychological error, right? Me and Jason Graceland just talked about this yesterday. Yesterday as I'm recording this, so I don't know how many days will be after you hear it, but we had an episode of the Trader Coffee Break, which if you haven't done so already, make sure you subscribe to the Trader Coffee Break channel. We go live every Wednesday at 10 a.m. New York for some live water cooler talks. So basically, we just shoot the you-know-what um, about really cool trading topics that are brought up by you guys and the questions that you give us during the week. And in the past episode, we talked about overtrading, right? Overtrading, one of the biggest killers of trading, overtrading and undertrading. And we talked about what it is, what it means, how do you know if you're doing it, and what causes it. And something that causes overtrading and or undertrading is that emotional reaction, right? The emotional reaction to, in this case, losing 35 out of 38 trades, right? So you got to be realistic. And, and what I told the trader was this, right? The time to shut it down is when you reach a point, unless you're just doing data collection for data collection, you're going to use some of the numbers for other stuff. That's fine. But as far as like realistically looking at it as a, as, as a, a future trading strategy, the time in which you shut it down is when it gets to the point where you know that you can't realistically deal with it. And you just ask yourself the question, Akil, can you realistically follow your rules consistency uh, consistently as you lost 35 out of 38 trades? And I can tell you right now, no, no way. I would have been shut things down. I would have been made a mistake, revenge, trade it, you know, you name it. So the answer is no. And what I do is I move on for that pair. Now, what's important to understand is this. Does this mean you need to ditch your strategy? No, not at all. Right. Your strategy can be a very good strategy. It may just not work on this particular pair. So you don't need to ditch or stop backtesting a particular strategy, but just stop backtesting the pair. There's no need to look for the extra whatever trades. There's no need to go through the extra whatever years. Save yourself some time. Cross it off your list. Right. You got 28 pairs you're looking at. Go to the next one and repeat the process. Now, if it becomes a trend, right, if you're doing 10 pairs and you do 10 random pairs and they're all giving you the same result, meaning none of them have promise, they're all just bad, now it may be a strategy thing. But in many cases, it's not a strategy thing. It's just the pair that you chose wasn't a good pair for your strategy. And I've seen so many traders ditch really, really, really good strategies because of this impatience. It didn't work on the euro dollar, which is the first pair that they traded, which is a really a dumb pair if you ask me. Um, but it didn't work on that first pair, so they ditched the whole thing. And now they have something that did work, but they never put in the work 
to actually get the numbers and prove to himself that it does work. So give yourself time, do the work, don't ditch the strategy, ditch the pair, and continue chopping away until you really get enough data to see if it's something that's worth keeping as far as a strategy, or if it's something that's worth ditching. We'd love to hear your thoughts. So like I said, if you wanna share your thoughts, guys, you can do it in the comment section underneath this video if you're watching slash listening on YouTube. If you're listening to this on one of your favorite podcasting apps, hit me up on social media. I'm on Twitter, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Instagram, at Akil Stokes RTM. Remember that name because there's lots of fakes and frauds out there, but don't be shy about sending me a message, a DM, um, tweeting at me and asking me a question. I do not bite. I really do enjoy listening to them. And many of the questions, just like this one, become future episodes of the Trading Coach Podcast. So give them to me.